Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And welcome to this week's weekly recap. Apologies for not having a football preview and recap episode, but there wasn't any football. There, there is no football. <laughs> Never was. Never was. <laughs> but what if it was all just a dream? But. <laughs> But for the weekly recap, we're going to go over the, the standard fare of football recruiting, a little bit of transfer portal news, and then men and women's catskiball, and of course, the wacky segment of the week. But let's start off first and foremost with football recruiting, and the first and most notable entry to the Kansas State Wildcat family from the transfer portal is wide receiver transfer from Iowa, former four-star Keegan Johnson and Connor and I were saying that wide receiver was probably our biggest need in the portal right alongside safety, which, you know, we have 87 billion corners and like two safeties on our squad, but that's that's neither here nor there. But we finally got that number one wide receiver from the portal to more or less fill the Malik Knowles role. And I'm going to be completely honest, looking a little bit at his film, Not only do I see a little bit more of Malik Knowles than one might initially think, I think that Keegan Johnson is a tad bit more refined than Malik Knowles and maybe a tad bit faster. So I I know that's kind of a lazy comp because, you know, it's literally the same player. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) Keegan Johnson, I feel like stylistically is pretty close to Malik Knowles. And I feel like that's something we would have lacked if we didn't get him for this next year. But Connor, what do you think about him? Um, yeah, I really, really like them. Uh, stats, uh, it, it's really hard to garner anything useful from anybody on the Iowa offense because they have a pretty systemic offense issue there that has gone to all of their players uh, to diminish their stats. Like Egan Johnson, uh, his main production was as a true freshman. He had, uh, I think, 18 catches for about 350 yards uh, and a couple touchdowns. Uh, so he yeah he produced as a true freshman in an offense that doesn't really utilize true freshmen or frankly doesn't really utilize anybody. So yeah. that uh, that that is impressive. And then he was hurt for most of this past season, uh, so he only put up two catches on the year. But he was a four star out of high school, and he drew significant portal interest. Um, Nebraska was after him. Notre Dame was after him. Texas A and M was after him. That's the schools that we know of. Um, and then K State, uh, went out and had to outgun a school like Notre Dame or a school like Nebraska and a school like Texas A&M. Uh, and that's a recruiting battle that probably two years ago, K State does not win, probably last year does not win. But we've reached the point that, well, not only we're coming off of a conference title, so that's enticing, but also uh, we have a significantly more uh, exciting offense for a receiver to want to be a part of. Uh, than we've seen in the past. So Keegan Johnson is he's huge for for the offense. And then I think you said it well, he does really fill a Malik Knowles role. And it is a little bit like lazy to use that comp because Malik is on the roster right now and <laughs> he's leaving. So it's like, yeah, of course. But um yeah, he's a little bit smaller, uh like not quite as tall. He's probably about six foot and maybe yeah, two hundred pounds. Uh, but he has good reach. He's really, really fast. Uh 
and he he does have that alpha dog uh, number one receiver uh, style to him. So this is a fantastic pickup for K-State. You really can't ask for a better start uh, to a portal um, ad um, if you're K-State, I think. Uh, so at this point, we're probably looking primarily at uh, safeties and defensive line, I'd imagine. And then if a can't miss prospect at another position pops up, then we'll evaluate that as we go. But yeah, yeah I, I really like the Keegan Johnson edition. Yeah, I do as well, especially because, you know, we it that receiver room is even with the the incoming commits of Andre Davis, Jace Brown and uh, Wesley Watson, that's still a it's, it's not a room that has an embarrassment of riches because it's that room would be assuming all seniors leave would be Sterling RJ. RJ is very good. So like I I'm fine with the Z position being RJ. I just don't like RJ as a like an X, like a true number one receiver. I don't feel like that's like he could do it, but I feel like that'd be a misuse. Um Sterling, RJ, Tyson Struber, Brennan Hawkins, Seth Porter, Seth Porter, Xavier Lloyd. Pretty thin. not not a lot of names that you no disrespect to them but it's not a lot of names that we've had a great reason to feel particularly confident in at a lot least of, a lot of unproven commodities there a lot of unproven commodities so getting this getting a receiver transfer that is a known commodity and a proven commodity and someone who has that deep speed to take the top off the defense that's awesome that's huge for this offense because now you have to account for Ben Sinnott, who's fast for a tight end. You have to account for RJ Garcia, who's pretty crafty already at his young age as a route runner. And, you know, if Porter does start at slot receiver, apparently he's freakishly fast. I believe it after seeing him on se- on special teams and seeing him return a little bit. But, you know, it, this, this is getting a lot faster than what we're used to. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't really have much else to add on Keegan Johnson other than uh, I'm happy that we were able to shut it down and take down uh, some pretty stiff competition for him as well. So I, I think that speaks a lot to uh, the excitement around the program. If we can make just a few more ads to Keegan Johnson's level, then next year we're going to be looking at reloading as opposed to rebuilding. So that's uh, a, uh, a much better position to be in. Yeah, I agree. Goodness gracious. Okay. <laughs> uh, because it's not a video media. Okay, we're just going to turn that off for now. Because it's not a video media, you cannot see what just happened with the camera. Uh, just know that it is it's currently on its mid-2000s rave phase, and I will not be elaborating. But the, <laughs> the next commit is a JUCO linebacker from Iowa Central Community College, and that is Rex Van Wy. And just... Broad strokes about his film. First and foremost, uh, he already plays Sam linebacker at Juco. He fits in perfectly as a Sam linebacker here, probably slotting behind Gavin Forche for the long term, at least probably sliding behind Gavin Forche in the long term, sliding behind probably Des Purnell in the short term. But yeah, Rex Van Wy is another really solid commit. He's, I think, four by... He's a full full qualifier four years, right? Uh, I think was it four three? 
I think he has four to play three. Okay. At least I think so. I, I'm I honestly don't know off the top of my head, so that may not be accurate, but um I, I do really like Rex. Uh he is unrated, so first I was a little bit uh confused and uh he didn't really hold many offers. Um uh, like this is somebody that you would expect that we may have added, you know, like in the past. Like like fairly bare on the offer sheet. His only other offer is Iowa State for the power five level. But you watch this film, uh, which again you always have to do with recruits uh, to make a, a true opinion on them. Uh, his uh, his film is really interesting. One thing I think stands out about him is his uh, uh, his measurables. He's 6'5", 225, according to twenty four seven, and he does look the part. He basically, in terms of build, is a more filled out Crew Jackson who just transferred out uh, last week. So I understand why the staff uh, decided to take him because uh, Crew Jackson a few years just wasn't able to put on the weight. Uh, but Rex Van White has that frame that we're wanting at uh, Sam um, where I'd imagine one of his primary roles would be with being 6'5 and also having very long arms uh, as well uh, would be to fill uh, passing lanes on RPOs. And I think that that's what we want a crew to be. But he Rex Van Y also brings some versatility because he's actually a, a pretty adept pass rusher and brings some decent speed and fluidity to the linebacker position as well. So there, there's a lot to like uh, with Rex Van Y. Uh, I, I, I think that he can probably maybe see the field a little next year, but I do think he needs a bit more time to really get like substantial, meaningful snaps, especially when you already have uh, Des Purnell and uh, Gavin Forche ahead of you at that position. So I'm not getting my hopes up on him uh, um, like being an immediate starter next year or anything like that. I just don't think that's his trajectory. But I do think it's possible that we see him uh, in, in some spot snaps and garbage time. But if nothing else, I think we probably see him redshirt next year. So I, I, th- I think we're maybe on track for that, assuming he has it available, which again, I'm not entirely sure on that, but I do really like his film. Yeah, I do as well. And I agree with you in that he's probably, probably not going to step in immediately, but that's almost like not a, not a knock against him unless he develops very quickly, which that's happened to us. What twice now <laughs> saying yeah. is like, well, this guy really needs time to develop. And then he just, doesn't need time to develop. <laughs> yeah. So you never really know, I guess, but not getting my hopes up for an immediate uh an immediate contribution from him. But we'll see. Yeah. So I, I think I feel really good. Well not really good, but I feel generally pretty solid about our, our linebacking room. You know, Des Purnell and I'm assuming Khalid Duke or Khalid Duke splits back down to defensive end. He's more natural there anyway. Um, uh, Des Purnell, Gavin Forche at Sam. I don't care what anyone says. Jake Clifton should be playing Mike and Austin Moore slash Tobio uh, at Will. I feel pretty good about that. Now, obviously, there's room for another Mike linebacker, which I imagine we're probably trying to find somewhere one way or another. But... You know, it's it's a solid linebacking room. You can feel good about that. And Rex Van Wy just slots in as another developmental piece to make sure it stays that way. Yeah. 
I have nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> but that is all for the additions for football. But there's one unfortunate subtraction. That is Whit Mitchum, the tackle. He, or offensive tackle, I should clarify. He is entered the transfer portal. And this was another one where I, I'm just not sure that the path to playing time was really there for him. Because even if, even if both Duffy and uh, even if Duffy and KT both end up leaving this year, I still am insanely high on John Pastore. We still have Jalen Clem, who's apparently been coming along. You have Kingsley Ugu. You just have a, a pretty solid amount of tackle options coming up that, you know, I'm, I'm not sure Whit Mitchum would have hopped in front of. So I, I completely understand and wish nothing but the best for him. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate because uh, he, he, he definitely had a, a good frame to work with, but I, I don't recall him ever really getting on the field. Uh, cause in that, in that class, uh, we also took, uh, Carver Willis, I think was in the same class as I recall, uh, he was, and, uh, we've seen Carver Willis plenty, but we haven't really seen Whit Mitchum yet. So I'd imagine he'll probably transfer down a level and probably tear up some guys there. Uh, so, but yeah, unfortunate because I, it's been a bit since we've seen a offensive lineman transfer out of K-State, uh, as I recall, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's too bad to see what Mitchum go, but yeah, really, 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 really crowded room, uh, in the offensive line room, especially among the young guys. So not, not shocking. Yeah. Cause that offensive line, I feel like that's the one position where unless we're getting like a, a five star been starting since a true freshman type player, I, I, we don't need to pursue that in the transfer portal. <laughs> yeah, that that's just not a need. So it is what it is because we're we're going to be just fine on the offensive line with Pastore and Clem, uh, Poitier coming back. We're 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 going to be really good uh, on the offensive line going forward. So I, I I personally am not at all worried. Yeah. Plus, you got other younger guys other than Pastore and Clem, like, uh, Oh, who's the tackle commit from this year that we both really liked. Uh, Bulmer. Yeah, it was probably full. Well, no, Voss, Voss. Voss. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, whenever we come out with the recruiting rankings in like six months, <laughs> that's probably about when it'll be. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be surprised if Voss ends up, topping at least one of our lists, which would be me. I'm not going to speak for Connor, but he'd probably be at one at the top, near the top of my list for commits this year. But that's that's neither here nor there. Now we can move on to men's catskitball. And there's only one game that happened, and it was the uh, the K-State Wildcats just absolutely woodshedding incarnate word. They, I I kind of kind of felt bad because it was kind of clearly bullying towards the end. It was, it, it was, it was bullying. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna pretend it was, it was anything else, but it's another good Wildcat victory against the team that we probably should have beat by this much. So we can go over, do you want to take starter or bench players? We'll do the opposite for the women's game, obviously. 
Um, I think I had the bench players last time. So as I recall. So you can so take I, the starters this time. Yeah. Okay. So starting out, we have Keontae Johnson. Uh, he played 24 minutes, so really didn't play too much in the grand scheme of things. Went seven of nine from the field, three of five from three, one of two at the free throw line, four rebounds, one offensive, one foul, five assists, just one turnover, three steals, and 18 points. Really, really, really good night for Keontae Johnson. Uh, the Naquan Tomlin, 23 minutes, seven of nine from the field, one of one from three, uh, nine rebounds, two offensive, so just off of that double-double. One foul and assist, a turnover, a steal. Ended up with 15 points. Uh, a lot of dunks for Naquan <laughs> Tomlin on this, including a couple, I think his only two missed field goals were missed dunks. They were yeah, rim that, stuffs. Yeah, rim stuffs. So he almost very, very close to being perfect from the field uh, was Naquan Tomlin. But speaking of perfect from the field, David Gasson uh, played 20 minutes. Uh, was five of five from the field, one of one from three, one of two at the free throw line, what two rebounds, one offensive, uh, then a foul and assist, ended up with 12 points. He has not missed a shot in now two consecutive games. And I saw on Twitter, I think in the last uh three games, he is 23 of 24 from the field or something like that. So David Gasson is shooting out of his mind. His season uh, percentage right now i think is like 72 percent. that is not sustainable at all but i mean it'd be cool if it was i it certainly would be i will not hold him to that standard but i hope he does <laughs> so we'll we'll see but a really really good night for david gasson uh then cam carter played 26 minutes four of eight from the field one of four from three one of two at the free throw line three fouls three assists one turnover steal and 10 points and then marquise noel had uh, 22 minutes, three of seven from the field, two of three from three, two of two at the free throw line, five rebounds, one foul, eight assists to just two turnovers, one steal, and 10 points. So all the starters were in double figures in this game uh, and really all had good games for the most part. Uh, and then Marquis Noel continues to do a fantastic job distributing the ball. Um um, had a really good night as well, but there's not really a starter that I think you can complain about, honestly, just based on stat line. No, and I, I think my favorite part about it is we didn't play them longer than we had to. <laughs> yeah, we we all got them out within you know 26 minutes. Cam Carter played the most, but bench players was led by Desi Sills, who played 27 minutes, six of 12 from the field, one of five from three, one of two on his free throw attempts. Three rebounds, four assists, two turnovers, two steals, 14 total points. Dorian Finister, the true freshman, you know, showed out quite a bit, actually. He looked very good pretty much the entire entire game. Played 22 minutes, four of five from the field, two of two from three, seven rebounds, four assists, one steal, and 10 points, notably no turnovers. Tyke Green played 17 minutes, two of seven from the field, 0 of three from three, Two of two on his free throw attempts, five total rebounds, one foul, one steal, six total points, and uh, uh, an injury we won't be, a minor injury that we will not be talking about. Just uh, know that man was hurting. Man was hurting a little bit. It was a tough scene. It, it was a tough scene, but he he gutted through it like a like an absolute, just a soldier. He was a trooper today. Uh, today, this happened Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, this was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was a trooper nonetheless. 
Then Ish Masood played 14 minutes, one of two from the field, one of two from three, two rebounds, one foul, one steal, three total points. And then Nate Aubrey got in towards the back end of the game, had two chances to make it a drop a hundred bomb on Incarnate Word. Unfortunately, didn't get either of them. But yeah, it was, you know, it was a it was a dominant, dominant performance. Apparently, Tyke Green got teed up. I don't remember that happening. I was at the game. I but, think it was one of those uh, flop technicals. Oh, yeah, probably so. But I, that, that's what I remember happening. It was one of those flop technicals where they like let the game continue and see what happens, and they call it after the fact. So, yeah. uh, I, I remember it, and it was it wasn't like an awful call or anything, but it's just very frustrating. <laughs> like when, they're calling it at all. Like I like that they're trying to discourage flopping. I think that's the right thing to do, but. I I think it's weird how they assess it. Like yeah. like I think the best way to discourage like an obvious flop is just to call it a block. <laughs> yeah. And just like really reverse possession. Like I don't think we need to call it like a technical foul that like doesn't go on the like record or anything. No. It's just very very strange. Which I that's a, a little bit of a side tangent I guess, but really really weird. But I mean on this game I, th- th- this was an unfair game. I do think we kept our turnovers down. We were under ten for the first time this year. I think uh, twenty six assists to eight turnovers and twenty six assists on thirty nine made baskets is fantastic. We shot much better in the second half than we did in the first, and we shot fifty percent in the first half. We shot sixty eight percent in the second half, sixty percent from three. Free throw shooting still a bit of a concern. But even then, it's a bit of a smaller sample size, and a lot of it is just because a bunch of guys went one of two, uh, and like nobody took more than two free throws in this game for us. So, ten offensive rebounds is really good as well. But at the end of the day, Incarnate Word's just not very good. So there, there's just not a lot I think that we can truly draw from this game because they're just not a good team at all. Uh, we were a little bit slow out of the gate, I guess. If you wanted to have a, a like a an actual criticism, but even then we never tied and we never they never led. The closest it ever got was one point with like 15 minutes to go in the first half, and after that we got out to a substantial lead, and it just continued, and so. This game was never really truly in question. We scored 53 points in the second half. It took them like eight minutes or something to score in the second half. I forget exactly. It was something (laughs) ridiculous. They just did not score. And I didn't realize it. It was. I think the the point where I kind of acknowledged that this was fully bullying and I would have left if it wasn't for the extra attendance point was whenever Naquan hit the three in the second half. And I just audibly screamed, no one of that size should be able to do that. That's like that shouldn't happen. Yeah, that was to put us up by 30 with 16 minutes to go in the second half. And uh then just uh three minutes later we're up by 40 because they had not scored. And then they finally scored right after that. And I mean, this was just a utter demolition. We basically doubled them up. There's yeah. just unfortunately just not a lot to draw from this game because of how bad incarnate word is dorian finister happy he played well but it would have been concerning if he didn't because 
I mean, like he scored 10 points in this game, which is five times as many as he had going into this game, like total on the year. So good for him. Uh, but yeah, there's not a lot to really draw from. Uh, unfortunate that uh, by me still isn't healthy uh, and wasn't able to play. Hopefully he's able to play soon just to give us a little bit more rotation uh, with our bigs, but this is what it is. Yeah. The next time the, the men's basketball team is going plays is going to be up against Nebraska at the sprint center. I'm not calling it the other name. You can't make me. And this is actually a game that one of us will be in attendance for. Uh, won't it's, spoil who it's but me. yeah it's connor <laughs> <laughs> you didn't spoil it i did and so yeah i i am going as a celebration of being finished with finals because i will be done with finals uh when this happens uh and they will have the uh big 12 championship trophy uh present uh so i We'll hopefully get a chance to see that. Maybe get a picture with it or something. I don't. I don't really know what to do with it. I guess like, <laughs> do I get to like hold it or something? I don't know. Probably <laughs> not. You probably don't get to hold it. It's probably I behind have, glass. Yeah, they'll they'll probably have like some security around it. They'll put the offensive line and like suits and like have them stand around it or something. But yeah, I I am really looking forward to this at the Sprint Center. I I am with you. I I refuse to say the cursed other name. Uh, but uh, yeah, Nebraska is a pretty solid team this year. They took Purdue to overtime. Purdue is really good. So definitely not a game that we can take for granted. Which is like, we did not expect Nebraska to be good this year. And lo and behold, they've actually been pretty solid. Yeah, they, they've had a few head scratching losses. Uh, like they lost by 20 to St. John's. Uh, which St. John's is still a solid team, but uh, like St. John's is like 10 and one, but they shouldn't be losing by 20 to St. John's. Um, but they're a better team than I expected them to be than most expected them to be. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how this continues. Uh, they did beat Creighton when they were ranked seventh, but Creighton is now unranked in the six and five. So take that as you will. Creighton's on a five game losing streak right now, granted all the power fives, but yeah, I am very excited for this game. Uh, haven't been in the Sprint Center for a little bit now. I'm trying to remember the last time I was there. And it was for some random Big 12 tournament game, I think. Uh, probably like five years ago at this point. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It should be really fun. Uh, hopefully the Cats come away with the dub. Yeah, hopefully. Now we can talk about the women's basketball team. And unfortunately... They fell to the San Diego State Jackrabbits, 78-82. to And a broad strokes problem for this game. There are two. Uh, first, we absolutely could not stop ourselves from fouling. And also, we just did not shoot very well. But, well, uh, with that, we'll cover more. We'll cover that a little bit more after. We'll cover individual stats. I got starters this time. So starting off is Gabby Gregory, who played 35 minutes and get this was 10 for 27. She shot the ball 27 times and was two of 12 from three, nine of 10 on her free throw attempts, six rebounds, two fouls, two assists, two turnovers, one steal, 31 total points. You cannot blame Gabby Gregory for this one. (laughs) 
she was trying. She was trying her absolute best. <laughs> yeah. And next up is Serena Sandell, 36 minutes, 6 of 13 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line, 5 rebounds, 3 fouls, 6 assists, 1 turnover, 2 blocks, 3 steals, 15 points. Then Briley Glenn, 33 minutes, 2 of 6 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, 4 of 4 from the free throw line. Three rebounds, four fouls, one assist, two turnovers, and two blocks in a steal. That's nine total points. Emily Everett also got the starting nod, played 28 minutes, one of six from the field, one of five from three, two of two on her free throw attempts, five rebounds, three fouls, three assists, one turnover, one steal for five total points. Then Sarah Shamatsi played 16 minutes, one of five from the field, one of three from three, two rebounds, and fouled out in 16 minutes. That's not great. One assist, two turnovers, one steal, only three points. So the you, you pretty much – I don't think there was a single person on this team that was not in foul trouble. I don't think anyone that played more than like 20 minutes was, in, was not in foul trouble. Gabby Gregory, and that's it. She had two fouls, and yeah. – that, that that is really it, <laughs> which is weird because of how aggressive she is. Which yeah. I I guess some of that is that sometimes officials are going to reward aggressive play, uh, regardless of if it's a foul or not. Sometimes you just get the benefit of the doubt. Um, but yeah, she uh, uh yeah only comes away two fouls. Everybody else had three or more, uh, which is pretty mind boggling. Uh, in South Dakota State, their only foul trouble was for people who. Um, played a combined 24 minutes. Uh, they made up nine of the team's 22 fouls. K State's uh, starters and key reserves all fouled a lot. We had uh, two, two players foul out in this game, so yeah, difficult game for the uh, aggressive and high pressure uh, defense of Jeff Mitty. But yeah, it does seem like Jeff Mitty teams a lot of times are. Whenever they play aggressive, they do get penalized a lot, as opposed to like a Texas that plays very aggressively and doesn't really get penalized for it. Yeah. Uh, but it is what it is. Just kind of got to deal with it, especially at this point. You know what you're going to get. But yeah, rough game for uh, a lot of the starters. But moving into the bench players, uh, we saw four players play off the bench. Uh, Eliza Moppin played 20 minutes, four or five from the field, one of one at the free throw stripe. Three rebounds, two of them offensive rebounds, three fouls, and nine points. So pretty solid night. Um, not a ton on the stat sheet outside of the points and rebounds. In fact, nothing uh, in the assist, turnovers, <laughs> block, steals. Uh, so um, Eliza just did be existing out there on the court and doing stuff occasionally, which that is to be expected. But three fouls in 20 minutes for Eliza is honestly pretty good at this point in time because she has been uh, a little bit... Um, foul uh, prone. prone yeah that's the word foul prone uh so far um but getting out a little bit more under control weird game to do that especially considering how many fouls we had yeah um but it's not a game for eliza moppin jalen glenn did not have a good game uh, uh for most of the stat sheet 25 minutes two of 10 from the field two of nine from three uh two rebounds one of them was offensive she fouled out and then had a block, did have five steals, which is really good, uh, and then had six points. 
but for the most part, uh, stat line wise, Jalen Glenn didn't have a great game. Again, it's tough to know the storylines of this game because it was not on TV anywhere. It wasn't even on streaming. Uh, I would have, I would have watched. I, I would have too if the like the UN didn't say we're not allowed to watch this game. Yeah, for for some reason, yeah, some international tribunal decided that this would be a, like a war crime to to witness this officiating <laughs> performance or something. But big, big basketball decided that we were not going to be winning oh, or watching man. this game. <laughs> Naismith from the grave just wanted to <laughs> screw over K State again. Come on, man. The uh, two more players saw the uh, saw the court for K State women's basketball. Rebecca Dollinger played five minutes, uh, did not attempt a shot, had a foul, an assist, and a steal. And then Heavenly Greer played two minutes, had a rebound, and that is all. Uh, so not a lot of bench production for the most part from K State. Um, Moppin and Glenn were really the only two who actually were rotating. Uh, Dollinger getting some spot minutes when necessary. I'd imagine came in after uh, Jalen Glenn fouled out, probably. Um, and then Heavenly Greer gets a few spot minutes as well. Uh, no Taylor Lauterbach is notable. Um, again, could have been injury. Don't know because there wasn't a broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll see. Uh, with that, maybe she'll be back uh, for the for the next game. But yeah, no Taylor Lauterbach in this one. But she normally starts. So yeah. Yeah, so we mentioned at the the very top that we shot horribly today. And it wasn't like South Dakota State was raining down threes on us either. They only attempted 14 and made five of them. We, however, attempted 37 and made eight of them. That's 21.6%, including missing all six of them in the second quarter and just not being able to make one fall. Well, we made three fall. We were three for 11 in the fourth, but it's just, it's almost like the three point bug from last year has infected us again. And we've talked about it the entire year. If this team is going to be successful, there needs to be the third scorer, And it can vary on a game to game basis. It doesn't matter who it could be anyone from Briley Glenn to Rebecca Dollinger to Taylor Lauterbach. It doesn't matter. If there's a third person that gets into double digits, that's the recipe for this team to to win. And we didn't have that today. It was just Gabby Gregory and Serena Sundell. And they can't do it by themselves. They can't. No. And we have to be more efficient shooting the ball as well, obviously. Uh, I mean, Ace and I, we realized this before the show, we took 21 more shots than South Dakota State, but made the exact same number we went 26 for 72 as a team over the whole game they went 26 of 51 so they were much more efficient shooting the ball three of the four quarters south dakota state was above 50 percent or at or above 50 percent shooting uh we never crossed 50 percent we got close in the fourth we were 47.37 percent there but yeah we just did not shoot well we were 18 of 19 at the free throw line uh and then uh south dakota state 25 of 33 uh, so they did get to the line a lot more. So I'd imagine they were just attacking uh, the interior because uh, we just don't have a rim protector in there. So, um, yeah, that that's the sort of game that you really wish you had a Yoko Lee because I think Yoko Lee, like we probably won this handedly because, uh, again, not able to watch the game, but drawing <laughs> an inference, it seems like South Dakota State was just driving as much as they could and drawing fouls as much as they could. So they were either getting high percentage looks or they were getting fouled. 
and that is exactly what they should be doing, and that's how those teams should be trying to attack K-State this year. Uh, so we'll we'll see if that continues. But yeah, tough loss. Uh, Hats of Good State is a good team. Uh, this is not like a back-breaking loss. They are like six and four, seven and four, something around there. But they were preseason ranked, uh, and they 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 are a a quality squad. So you know, I'm I'm not like down in the the dumps about this. I obviously would have preferred to win, but it. It's not the end of the season. I will say it is worrying that we've had a couple games in a row now where we have not shot well uh, from three at all. It seems like this happens a lot with Jeff Mitty teams. Uh, they uh, they really get fatigued, it feels like. It feels like they lose their legs, uh, and that affects our shooting ability. And I'm, I'm hoping that that's not going to be another theme this year because some of those uh, games down the stretch last year were difficult to watch. Uh, because of how poorly we were shooting the ball. We we cannot afford to have another uh, late season stretch like we did last year. Was so. it the Texas Tech and the KU games that were back-to-back? That um, I think both were losses, and like combined, we maybe hit like four threes across both games. Because the KU game is when we went like one for 22 or something. Yes, that was that game right before... We did have Texas Tech at home two games before that. Okay. But we won that game. So you maybe you're thinking of the game where Oklahoma State scored like eight points. And uh, well, we I'm did not to, shoot well in that game. We played Texas Tech at some point while I was home. And I want to say it was our, like while I was home and it was at Texas Tech. Because I remember was. watching that with my parents. Yeah. That one was right by a KU game, but it was a game that we won. It was a home okay. game. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we did lose that game, and we went uh, uh, six for 26 from three in that game. So, yeah, definitely did not have a good game at all um, um, in that one. But that that was the story of the season was either we were on fire and couldn't miss anything or we just couldn't were helpless. make a three to save our lives. Yep. And down the stretch, we saw more and more of could it make a three to save our lives. And that's pretty much how the whole uh, season went towards the end. Um, just a lot of games where you lose your legs, which yeah, this is very doomer for losing only two games and only having a, a few games like this so far. But it definitely is a little concerning that those same signs are starting to rear their head. And we did score 78 points, so we did score a lot. Um, but it wasn't efficient. That was not. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. It was not efficient at all. Thirty-six uh, percent from the field, twenty-one percent from three. That's not sustainable at all. Ninety-four uh, percent from the free throw line is good, but I mean that, that's just very frustrating uh, to drop a game in Kansas City like that. It is what it is. There's plenty more games. Uh, there will be some uh, a little bit more tune-up, um, but Big Twelve play is right around the corner uh, for women's basketball and men's basketball. So uh, it, it is coming right up. So we'll, 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 we'll see the, yeah, de- yeah, definitely a moderately concerning performance. Yeah. But the next time the women's basketball team plays is up against Northern Colorado on Sunday. Then another game up against Morgan state on Wednesday at 11 AM. Then on new year's Eve, you open up conference play up against Texas down in Austin. 
Yikes. Uh, given our propensity for post players, I have a, I have a bad feeling. But that's that's a bit farther down the line. But that pretty much wraps up the news segment. Now we can get to everyone's favorite segment of the week, and that is the wacky segment of the week. This week's question is, if you could move two places, if you could swap the location of two things in Manhattan, what would you swap and why? So for me, I I feel like I had a pretty good idea, although I could be convinced otherwise. Um, my idea is to move canes from the east side of town uh, right off of 24 on the way in uh, and swap it with the Burger King in Aggieville because, well, for one, I hate Burger King and don't think they sh- there should be any. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, but if we are going to have a Burger King, might as well kick it out like of the Ville because it's weird to have it in Aggieville, I think. Although I could be convinced that uh, there shouldn't be a fast food location there anyways, which I, I kind of do agree with. But if there was going to be a fast food location there, I think it, I think Canes would be a really good one. That would be a killer line back up, though, out into uh, the street. But uh, I, I I think that it, w- it would still be a really prime location. Uh, so. And then also to finally get Burger King out of the Ville, because why is there Burger King in the Ville? But yeah, I feel like the best argument against that would probably be the line. Yeah. But yeah, that or that there just shouldn't be a fast food place there. Because I, if it were me, I I would not have a fast food location there, and I wouldn't even have that like strip mall and gas station there. I would, I would do something different. I don't know what I'd do, but it would what? not be that. That'd get rid of good sense. I can't have that. What if I could guarantee that there would still be a good sense, just not there? I'd be fine with it. Because there was another one in town next to Umi, but they got rid of that, and it's a vape store now. Oh, fun. But (laughs) basically the same thing. But but I'm not going to ask how you figure. I I feel like my brain's not ready for that logic. But no, I, 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 I... if if it was required to be a fast food location still, I would definitely put a Canes um, where the Burger King is in the Ville. I mainly partially because of my vendetta against Canes or Burger King, I mean, but um, also just because I think the Canes location right now is a little bit out of the way. So bringing it closer uh, would and more centralized would probably be a good thing, but that's just me. Yeah. I am also going to go with a restaurant, but I'm going to swap the location of the Powercat Sports Grill with Buffalo Wild Wings. And the main reason why is this is something we've talked about a lot on the show, is that we don't it there there are places for four chains in Aggieville. Like we're not we're not like full on, it has to be a small business, but it would prefer to be a more local chain. So like Tanner's qualifies because that's technically a chain, but there's, they're only really in like the KC area. Buffalo Wild Wings. I just feel like, yeah, it's a sports bar. I'm not sure it really fits the vibe. And I feel like anything that Buffalo Wild Wings brings power cat sports grill kind of brings on the same level. Plus it's a local place that gets to stay local in Aggieville in a prime location. So the first thing that you're looking at whenever you enter Aggieville is not Buffalo Wild Wings, it's Powercat Sports Grill. So it kind of sets the the vibe of, of Aggieville to be a much better 
you know, specifically Manhattan thing. That's a fantastic swap. I, I really like that. Uh, I, I think that's a better one than mine, honestly, because mine still ends up in having like a standalone fast food, like right by the Ville, which I'd rather the Ville be like a more built up and pedestrian friendly area than like a area for like drive throughs and stuff like that. That like, that's just me and thinking long-term, but like, I, I do think that would be a really good use of that corner space because it is like Buffalo Wild Wings is like, it's like related to like what the field does, but I, I agree. I would rather that be a local place. to like really sell like the, like sell Manhattan, like be a local feel. Cause it is a little weird that like, it is just like this, like well-known national chain that you have in the field, taking up some prime real estate. So yeah. I, I think that's a good pick. Uh, but I, w- I would kick out most of like the national chains in the Ville. I, I Wingstop can stay, I guess. But like, I, I would kick Jimmy John's all the way out. Jimmy John's does not need to be in the Ville. Frankly, Jimmy John's doesn't need to be anywhere because I think it's <laughs> awful. But I, I, I think Jimmy John's is one of the worst, like fast food adjacent places that you could possibly go. I think it's the worst sandwich place that you can get too. But. I have a vendetta um, against Jimmy John's and you know exactly yeah. why. Yeah. We both hate Jimmy John's just for different reasons. Like, like you, you have an actual reason. Like I, I just think it sucks, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I out, get, get Jimmy John's out of the Ville immediately. There's yeah. no reason for it to be in the Ville. I think it's an absolute disgrace. Yeah. Take it in the real estate shop right next to it and make it a 54th street. Just pull one from Kansas city and put it there. Now we'll make the alms group go somewhere. You know, they can be in a uh, midtown, whatever that opens. Like, yeah. It's supposed to be office spaces anyway. So I'm just midtown. saying I, I would never leave Manhattan, Kansas. If they put a 54 street bar and grill in Manhattan, I would, I would never leave. I'd love a barbecue place in the Ville too. a barbecue place in Manhattan. That isn't Cox brothers. I think well, we're well. getting one. The uh, Hawaiian. Oh yeah. Now Hawaiian brothers, uh barbecue that's allegedly going in by Canes. So allegedly we'll see if that actually happens but i remember hearing there's supposed to be a brahms that was like five years ago that has not happened <laughs> hasn't so, happened Mm-mm. so we'll, we'll see but i don't know a lot a lot of changes in the bill coming though yeah which you can tell with the construction <laughs> it, it has been perpetually under construction for the entire time that i was an undergrad and will continue to be for many undergrads after so yeah, you can't even get in normally now. It's they still have that road blocked off from when we went for the Big Twelve Championship game. Yeah, I was gonna say last time I was in town, that Manhattan Avenue entrance and the Triangle Park entrance were both still like completely blocked off, like mm-hmm. and like completely shredded. The only way in, like, go all the way down Morrow was on Laramie by the parking garage. Last time I was and last time I was there, although yeah. it looked like Manhattan Avenue south of Laramie looked like it was getting close-ish to being done so then you get two instead of one i guess cool you still kind of have to go out of the way to get in anyways but it'll be fine once it's done it's just a mild annoyance while it's happening yeah well with that with that meandering bit out of the way <laughs> that pretty much wraps up this episode of the aggieville alley cat podcast thank you all so much for listening if you want to follow or contact the show you can follow us on twitter at aggieville a cats that's capital a capital a and capital c and cats if you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. 
If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at AC Edwards 00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doomtang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.